Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Today, my name is Terry Fletcher. So today, I wanted to talk to you about a topic that I actually thought I was talking about before, but apparently I haven't. And that is uh, prolonged services. Now, what's funny is before prolonged service changed to an add-on code only to the highest level, so in the office level five and in the hospital level three or five, depending on what the service is, it was interesting to me that, you know, this was rarely reported because physicians had such a hard time getting that time threshold met on the, the base code. So prolonged services are actually the add-on code. What's interesting when it comes to prolonged services is the fact that you have a lot of providers not understanding that it's a little bit different in the hospital than it is in the office. So in the office, you can only use level five as your base code. So either 99205 or 99215. And then the CPT book actually conflicts on when you can use a certain code for that service. So for example, if you are um, a private payer, you're going to use a 99417. Once you've met 15 minutes after what CPT says is the minimum time threshold uh, for each code. So for example, if the minimum time for 99205 is 60 minutes, and then you hit 75 minutes, um, or I should say 75 to 89 minutes, then you would get a 99417. Again, not Medicare. If it was the 99215, and you hit 55 to 69 minutes, then again, you would get the add-on code 99417. So obviously, time would have to be extremely, and this sounds weird, but extremely well documented, otherwise it'd be tough. Now, I don't understand the thinking behind that for AMA. It makes no sense to me, made no sense to Medicare, because Medicare says, no, wait a minute. If you're going to code prolonged services with an add-on code, you actually have to use our code G2212 and you have to hit the maximum time threshold. So once you've hit 75 minutes, which 60 to 7, well, 74, 60 to 74 minutes is the time threshold, let's say for 99205, and you'd have to be beyond that 15 minutes. And you don't get a halfway point for uh, any prolonged service. You actually have to hit 15-minute increments. That's a big difference in a lot of time-based codes. So for Medicare, it would be 89 minutes before you get it. And that's a bummer that you have two different rules to live by. And I don't understand why AMA didn't come in line with Medicare, because for me, it makes no sense that if you're within the time threshold of an actual um, CPT code, how come you get to add on time to something that you haven't met the maximum time yet? makes no sense. And let's take it even a step further. Did you know that there were actually prolonged service codes for clinical staff services with the physician or other qualified healthcare professionals? So those are 99415 and 416. Now I'm struggling to find a provider who wants to pay for that. And let me explain why. What's the first rule? It's it's like E&M 101 now with the new rules. And I'm talking either 21, 19, or 2021, I just said almost said 1999, 2021 or, or 2023 let's just call them the new rules. One of the, the very first things you learn in time-based codes is that you cannot include clinical staff time. So let's say that you're basing your time completely on the physician, and then you're going to try and support that a clinical staff member came in and spent um, an additional 
a prolonged service time. And that now that's a little different because that has to be 30 minutes in addition to the highest code. And it it's just going to be, and you can't, re, you can't uh, report it with facilities. But what's interesting with these codes is that that is, it, it has to be under physician supervision. You can't include the base code with any staff time. So your documentation seems like it was going to be a paragraph where you're going to have to say, okay, staff time didn't start until after we hit 74 minutes or what, you know, whatever they want. And so to me, I would stay away from those codes. I'm seeing people trying to code for them. I have two payers that sent me a stack of, of claims saying, please weed through these. Tell us what we should pay and what we shouldn't. We're just so tired of seeing this because we don't find it to be a believable day. You know, remember, I, I say every once in a while, and I got it from uh, my colleague, Sean Weiss, the medically unbelievable day. And you only have so many hours in a day. So to say that you're spending two hours with every patient doesn't make sense to payers. And it doesn't make sense to me either. So then when we get into the hospital setting on prolonged services, now we have also a conflict with Medicare because Medicare says, well, we don't necessarily agree with CPT again because they're saying that you only have to meet a certain amount of time. But Medicare did give us an extra HCPCS code because remember their codes start with a G because they're temporary. G, we're watching you codes. They're, they're trying to data mine. And so they have to have that additional 15 minutes once you've met or exceeded the base time in the hospital. There's not a time threshold, so there's not a range. There's a base time and it said must be met or exceeded. And so you can't go halfway like CPT says, oh no, but we say you can. Well, you know what? Medicare says you can't. So my professional opinion on that, do what the federal government says you can't do, if that makes sense. I know that kind of sounds like a, a contradiction in terms, but you want to have a clean claim here if you're going to use prolonged services. So for example, if you are using, let's say the 99223, which is the highest service, and again, it only goes on the highest valued services, which is now considered an inpatient and or observation code service, you've spent 75 minutes, which is the minimum time that has to be met or exceeded, you'd have to hit 90 minutes or longer to be able to add on the code G0316, which is for reporting prolonged hospital inpatient or observation services. We also have G0317 for prolonged nursing facility services. And then we have G0318 for prolonged home and resident services where there's no CPT crosswalk. Also in the hospital setting, so it's the new add-on code is 99418 that you can use for, again, either hospital inpatient or observation or prolonged services for nursing facility services. Once you've met or exceeded the highest level in that code range, there is no CPT crosswalk for home or resident services. But also I'm, I'm seeing people... And I just attended an APC meeting that was so unfortunate because somebody was actually telling people to bill for the placeholder codes. So for example, the, the code used to be when they tell you there's a new code coming, 993X0, it, no, it was 99418. Whenever you see an X in a code descriptor, it means that it is a placeholder code. And I may be talking out of turn, calling somebody out that did that. And you know what? I'm at a point I don't care. I don't want you to do it wrong. And when I hear that, especially at an APC meeting, I was so, I was cringeworthy. I'm just like, you have people on this call that are listening to you 
and you are giving inaccurate information. I, I can't tell you how annoyed I was at that. So please make sure no matter what meeting you're listening to, you always do your due diligence and check facts. But if you ever hear anything with an X in the code, CPT has placeholders that they are valid codes. Uh, I'm sorry, ICD-10 does, but CPT does not. Whenever they put an X placeholder in a code, in a five-digit code, that means that that's just there until they come up with a new code for the next year. What It's basically to, to make sure that people don't use new codes before they're valid. And so when I hear people saying, oh, no, use this code, I'm just like, did you not read the rules? You have to read the rules and be diligent about the accuracy. But here's what came up um, for Medicare um, recently because, and also CMS. So there were some technical errors in the calculations of time thresholds for reporting EM services. Um, when you report prolonged care with the level two, they call them the level two Hicks picks, um, the GO316. So they had a different time threshold. So what they basically did not say is that, or what they said was you know, use 105 minutes. It's actually 90 minutes to start for that add on code. Again, if you also use the G0316, which again is a subsequent inpatient observation, prolonged service add-on, uh, it's when 65 minutes is reached for a subsequent visit on the date of the encounter. Um, so they also had to adjust that. And then when it is uh, used on a, and actually they, they had before, I think 50. So you have to go beyond 50 minutes. And then when you use it on the same date as an inpatient observation, same day discharge and management, the 99236, um, it's 110 minutes. So they have the, the increments incorrect. So you just want to make sure they had like 125 for that. Just make sure that you get those correction notices of those erratas. Also, there was something that came up in the errata, and it's making me cringe because I don't like it. And I've said it a couple times. I said it on the Compliance Guy podcast. I think I've shouted from the rooftops. So something that came out on the errata that I just absolutely disagree with. So if you're on data points and you're giving credit to a physician for uh, independent interpretation of a test, the errata came out and said, if you order a test, you also can have independent interpretation of a test. Well, that contradicts what CPT is saying and what Medicare has said, that if you order a test and you give a review or results of the test at a later date, um, or even the same date, it's one in the same. You can't, you can't double dip. So to me, I don't understand how now they're saying you can double dip. So here's what I would do on that. And just to, just to keep yourself in check and keep your providers in check. Remember when we had a long time ago on the and I think it was more on the 9795 guidelines on medical decision making. And when we had that scoring component on medical decision making for data points. And remember on the section where it was the um, the amount of complexity of data reviewed that we do have now as well. Now we include it as analyzed. So that did not change, but how it was descripted has changed. It used to say review and or order clinical lab tests, review and or order. So what they did is they still have that rule, but they broke it down into lab, radiology, medicine. This is before. And then they also had decision to obtain old records and review and summarization of old records. They just reworded it now and put it in different categories and subcategories to be able to capture it. But here's what they used to say about getting two points for, and that was independent visualization of an image tracing or specimen itself, not just simply reviewing the report. I would go back to that, honestly, and say if it was an independent visualization of an image, a tracing or specimen itself, 
and your physician is actually giving an independent interpretation because the patient didn't get it before or because they needed to go over something that was more than just give a result of a previous report, then I think you have a good argument to support the order and also that, you know, um, that review. But if it is, or I should say that independent interpretation, have to get the language right. But you can't double dip on the order and review where you get some, um, you know, outside report. Let's say that you, there's two ways to look at this. Let's say you ordered a CT scan at the hospital and you didn't charge for it. You just ordered it. So you get the report, patient comes back in two weeks later, it shows that the patient's got, uh, it was of the shoulder, they have a torn rotator cuff. And that's what you suspected. So you give the patient result, you schedule surgery, you move on. You only get credit for that order. But let's say the patient brings in that actual image or the film of that CT scan. And your physician now not only goes over with them and shows them where the tear is, so visualization of the image, but also shows that there's some potential debridement that may need to be done because of some extensive extensive scar tissue from maybe a previous surgery or a previous injury that wasn't noted before. And they really go into some detail and they document that as an independent interpretation with the patient and why, because maybe it could be multiple um, surgeries they're looking at or multiple procedures within one surgery encounter. That absolutely can support being able to bill for that independent interpretation because now you're going over that visualization of image with the patient. But when absence of that and just looking at a note and saying, yes, we're confirming this, or, you know, you get an A1C from something you ordered, but maybe you didn't, you don't, you know, have um, financial ties to the lab. If you order that for a patient, you think they've possibly got diabetes or they have ele elevated issues. And then you, they come back and you should tell them what they're, what the results are, that's still under category one. That's not doing another independent interpretation. Those are pretty straightforward and clear. So really be, I don't want best practices on this. I don't know how to, to say it politically correct so people don't think I'm thinking they're going to do anything underhanded. But let's just say that this could be very easily manipulated um, by physicians, providers, anybody who is able to bill out an encounter on a patient, if you're not careful. And for those of you that are auditors, that's what I'd be looking for. The difference between what is a review of a result on something you ordered, category one, versus what is an independent interpretation of a test, and I'd be looking for an actual film or visualization of something that is either a film, a specimen, or something that is tangible, not just an actual report, just like we had in our old rules. So remember, those were just reworked. They didn't go away. They're not archived. They are, it's not that they're invalid. They're still published guidance. And I would actually um, recommend that you look back on that because I just think that there's a missing piece here and it could uh, come into play because I don't want you to upcode based on the fact just because you, you probably could, it's not appropriate. You may still be at a level three visit, but because of this errata, you're able to upcode um, because of the data elements. That would be wrong. Now, moving on from that, I know probably you guys have had some telehealth fatigue, especially with the uh, PHE ending. And, you know, I'm always commenting on, on telehealth because that's kind of like what I do, it seems like primarily now. Um, one of the things just to keep in mind that we are going to have some on-demand webinars. I already have one, uh, two that I have recorded that you can find on my website at terryfletcher.net 
on how to bill and report these services once the PHE ends. So yes, there is a, a NAMAS and a N-A-M-A-S dot C-O. Um, we're going to have a virtual conference April 5th and 6th, so that's live. But if you're just looking for an on-demand on what to do after the PHE ends, please go to my website and find that. The reason I say that, I, I actually put something out there as, uh, as far as just a comment on, on something on LinkedIn and somebody commented back and I really appreciated the comment. Shout out to Taylor King. Um, what she had said was, is that, you know, she's very new to the telehealth space and she's only been billing and coding for it since the pandemic. And I forgot about that. There are people that are actually new to the space, so they don't know how to report telehealth or what the restrictions were, and they were a lot. Patients couldn't have be in their home to get telehealth as far as a place of service. So prior to the PHE, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that actually didn't know what the rules were because they only started coding for it during the public health emergency, which again is going to end three years later in um, on May 11th. So I appreciate that comment because when I went back and started um, reviewing some of my material, it it kind of was assumptive that you knew what, what was before the PHE and a lot of people didn't because they didn't engage in those services since they were so limited in reimbursement. So just so you know, we will be making sure, and I, I definitely have some updates there that bring you back to basics that let you understand how to code for it, what to look for, what's extended to 2023, what's extended to 2024, and then what'll happen once that uh, period ends. So uh, make sure you pick that up, especially if you are heavily engaged in telehealth. Even if you just bill out one service, you're going to want to know because it's a big deal, especially if you also looked at the CPT panel update. So what that is, is the panel gets together, I think sometimes behind closed doors, to determine what new codes we need for the CPT book and what should be retired, what should be rejected. And they created 17 new ENM telehealth codes that are that are going to be effective January 1st, 2025. What does that tell us? All of a sudden, we're like, oh, shoot, they're going to not allow us once the public health emergency extension at the end of 2024 ends. They're going to say, guess what? Now we have actual specific services under the evaluation and management services for telehealth, which I actually think that's a great idea because they're going to have a breakdown of what has to be included. I've done a website manner, um, a couple of slides in my telehealth webinars that explain what your visit should look like. But right now there's no standard of care. It's terrible. They say it should look the same as it looks like if they came in the office. Well, that's impossible to do because they're not in the office. And so you're, you're having to be very limited on what you can visualize, what you can see. And especially if the, you know, the internet cuts out and things like that. The other thing that they said is that they're going to delete the phone call codes as of January 1st, 2025 too. So not only are we going to lose the payment parity at the end of this year, 2023, um, and they went back to saying only, you know, established patient visits, which were established patients, what they should have at the beginning, um, is a lot of things are going to change. So just make sure that you're getting updated on that if you're going to continue to engage in telehealth because, there's private payer rules and then there's Medicare rules. And I, it sounds like there's going to be some coming together of those rules. And I just don't want you to miss out on that. So my personal tidbit this week is I'm actually going to just remind anybody that doesn't um, have time to sit down and read a book or do anything like that. And you've kind of gotten into 
um, podcasts. Now, obviously you have because you're listening to mine. But if you are into podcasts for fun, you might want to take a look at something called the Podcast Brunch Club. It's something that I'm part of. And it's virtual or it's in person. They're all over the world, actually, not just in the United States. And I do the virtual one and because I like being comfortable. And so we actually, um, they give us a list every week and, uh, or every month, I should say. And we get five pod- podcasts to listen to. And some of them, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. But um, they give some of us to, and then we discuss it kind of like a book club, but for podcasts. So anybody wants to, you know, look at that or join up to make sure that you look at it. Um, take a look on the web. Just look for podcastbrunchclub.com and maybe I'll see you on there. So uh, I know I'm on one this weekend on Sunday. It's at 10 o'clock on Sunday and they do Zoom meetings, which is great. They have usually three. They have one that's Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern, uh, Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, which is 10 o'clock for me. And then on Thursdays at 5 p.m. or at 8 p.m. Eastern. So you've got all kinds of options. We're, we're talking about altruism, altruism, altruism. I can't even say the word. And so they talk about the different um, episodes. So if anybody, you know, if you want to get into some different and you feel like maybe because you're a remote worker and you don't have people to talk to, I'm not kidding. It just, it, it's just something to, it's, it's kind of a hobby. And if you don't have time to read or you don't have, you just need that time to maybe talk to people who are not necessarily just in your circle. Um, but there's, I know on the one that I, li- I log on to, there's somebody from France, there's somebody from UK, there was somebody from South Africa, um, somebody from India, somebody, uh, a lot of people, a couple people from uh, United States all over the country, but it usually isn't more than 10 or 15 people. And so uh, it's pretty good. But um, I'm reading here right now, it says can effective altruism really change the world. So it's it's about being good and that kind of thing. But that's just the, the topics this week, or this month, I keep saying this week, um, we had one where it was conspiracy theories. Okay, I loved that one. That was crazy. We had true crime podcasts, we had business podcasts. Um, what did else we had? We, they had a love list. And I passed on that. That's not me. That was a little cheesy. Um, they had, they had um, the colors podcast. They had all kinds of different things. So just so you know, and then they give you bonus uh, episodes as well. They had something that was kind of like the, uh, um, oh, what's that movie? They had a movie podcast, um, just, just things like that. So anyway, take a look at it. Again, it's, it's fun. It's podcastbrunchclub.com and maybe I'll see you on there. All right, everyone, um, you can tell I'm, I'm definitely missing my football. Uh, the fact that I'm back with my podcast brunch club. Um, but hopefully, everyone, you make it a great day and a great rest of your week. And I'll see you next week on the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer Joe Kuzma. Music producer Assassin Music. <laughs>